serious memory problem. One day he ran into a friend he hadn't seen in a long time. He greeted him and said, Bill, you, you remember what a bad memory I had? Bill answered, yes, I certainly do. Uh, well, John says, well, it's not bad anymore. I went to a seminar that taught us how to remember things. It was great. And now I have a wonderful memory. Bill answered, that's great. What was the name of that seminar? Well, John said, wait a minute. My wife went with me. I'll ask her. He turned around there as his wife was, and he turned back to Bill, and he said, what's the name of that flower with a long stem and thorns and red blooms? And Bill said, do you mean a rose? He said, yeah, thanks. Hey, Rose, what was the name of that seminar <laughs> we went to? Now, some of you laughed harder than others because some of you have maybe had if things like that happen to you as we get older. Sometimes our, our memories aren't what they used to be, and, and that is a physical problem. But oftentimes, our memories are not what they're supposed to be, and it's more of a, of a spiritual or a, uh, an emotional problem. And that's what I want to talk about today as we continue our series on home life. Uh, believe it or not, the Bible tells us many, many times to remember. Now, you have all kinds of memories. And I think certainly when you grow up in a, a family unit, you're going to create some memories. Some of those are tender memories. They're memories of, of times where you felt close together and and where you, you cherished and adored one another. You have times where you, you really felt just right in sync and harmonious and great love and affection from and to one another. Other times there are tough memories that we have. Memories of, of going through a, a scary time or a, a tough trial type ordeal. Uh, maybe a, a illness or a financial difficulty, those kind of things. But in particular today, I want to talk to you about creating, I want to talk to you about the, the trust memories that we need to have. Now, I mean trust in two different ways. Trust as a verb. You can trust, I think, your memories of how God has provided for you. God has has sustained you, the, the good things God has provided in your life. You can, you can trust those things, and, and we should actively trust in those memories. And we'll see that in the passage we have today, Deuteronomy 6. He says you need to trust God because you can remember what he's done for you in the past. But also I think it's a trust as an adjective. Uh, memories of, of how we have trusted God, memories of how God has been trustworthy in his interactions with us. And so today we want to talk about that. I'm going to give you four steps to building trust memories, to having trust memories in your family life, to having trust memories individually as you grow. But before we get there, I want to just show you a sampling of all the verses that tell us to remember how important it is uh, to overcome our human tendency to focus on what's in front of us and to remember what's really important. The uh, first verse I want to show you is Numbers 15, 39. You have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember 
all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. You have these tassels. They're, they're memory joggers. They, they're memory uh, the, the things to cause you to remember. Just like the rainbow, Noah's covenant, the rainbow, God said, every time you see this rainbow, you know that, that God will never destroy the earth again, right? Deuteronomy 8, 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Remember, Deuteronomy 15, 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Next, Nehemiah 9, 17, they refused to listen and they failed to remember Notice they failed to remember, and we're going to see what happened as a result. They failed to remember the miracles you were performed among them. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion appointed a, a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. And Ecclesiastes 12.1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. And then the New Testament, 2 Timothy uh, 2.8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, and it goes on to say. Oftentimes those verb verse breaks are not exactly how we would, we would have them. But remember, you heard that over and over through those verses. And then we turn to Deuteronomy 6. And uh, I, I think of this as a primary passage to teach us how important it is uh, to have trust memories, uh, to actively trust those memories, and to, to build those in our lives. There are four steps to trust memories. The first is we need to learn them. We need to learn them. Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. What's he saying? These words, these laws, these, these teachings from God, Moses is writing, or Moses is speaking, and then he writes this down. We think Moses was the author of Deuteronomy. He records this for all time, saying what? These words from God are vital. These words for God, from God are, are the basis for knowing if you can trust God or not. These words from God, his truth, is what you need to to learn uh, so that you can live the life you want to live, that, that God can bless you and you can bless others. We have all kinds of information available to us today. Uh, you can learn about all different kinds of subject. All you have to do is click your mouse and you can learn about different things. But it will always be important, no matter how advanced our technology gets, uh, that we devote ourselves to studying his word is studying his truth. Class is going great on Wednesday night. We're learning how to study the Bible. And, uh, and we're, we're learning how to understand different places. Maybe you didn't make that class. Uh, but I tell you this. It's important for you to become 
a student of the word. It's important for you, if you have children in your home or children in your lives, it's important for you to be teaching them the word, teaching them the truth. Out of all the different technologies, after all the different information that's available to folks today, these, I think, are some of the most important truths, the most important information they'll ever get, is how and who is God, how he works, his ways, his principles, his ways of living. It's important for us to do that because we often can forget or misunderstand his word. It's important for us to learn it accurately. I love to read uh, uh, how kids sometimes misunderstand uh, the Bible as they learn it. Here are some statements about uh, the kids that they their comprehension of the Bible truths. They said that Moses led the Hebrews to the Red Sea where they made unleavened bread, which is bread made without any ingredients. It's without any yeast. For you, I, I'll, I'll kind of give you the accurate Bible <laughs> information. The, the Egyptians were all drowned in the dessert. I've had some running desserts, but it was the, it was the, the desert. Afterwards, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Amendments. Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. The first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. It actually was, you shall have no other God before me, is the first commandment. The fifth commandment, and you might think your kids are experts at this, the fifth commandment is to humor your father and mother. Not honor your father and mother. Moses died before he reached Canada. <laughs> Canada, promised land, I just don't know. But we're talking about the promised land. Then Joseph, jo Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho. <laughs> Jericho is the accurate the greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stand still and he obeyed him. You might think that. You're, you're, if your kids obey you, it is a miracle. But it is, he told the sun in the sky to stand still and it obeyed him. David, he fought with the Finkelsteins. Philistines is what the Bible actually says. And then here is a great one. Solomon, one of David's sons, had 300 wives and 700 porcupines <laughs> instead of concubines, porcupines. You, you want to learn it accurately and then remember it. And let me say to you, I've said this before in this series. I will probably say it again in the future, although this series one day will be done. Uh, but I uh, say to you, we will teach your children here. We will teach your grandchildren here. We don't believe in just babysitting. Uh, we, in every age grouping, we teach them the word. But uh, it is vital for you to, to do that at home. It's vital for you to, to be able to help them. Uh, there are wonderful resources today, kid-friendly Bibles. Uh, they even have memory verses. It's vital for you to to learn these words yourself if you're not uh, sure and know a lot about the scriptures. De de devote yourselves to learning yourselves, but also 
uh, to speaking about that, to teaching uh, your kids the Bible, the truth of God, uh, when you're together at home as a family. And then the second step is to, to live them, to live these trust memories. It is important for you to understand that your kids, your grandkids are watching you. And all through life come opportunities to either show your trust and faith or to show your distrust and your lack of faith. The verses here say, verses 3 through 6, Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. That is, that's a euphemism for these are to be lived out in your lives. It is to be evident that you most love the Lord your God with all that you have. And so that's not a love, that's not a lifestyle that's compartmentalized. It's not a love or lifestyle that that depends on the situation. It's a love or lifestyle that, that is consistent. It's a love or lifestyle uh, that is seen in good times and certainly in bad. You see, our kids learn to trust what we trust. And if it becomes apparent that we trust in our reputation more than anything else, if it's apparent that we trust in our bank account more than anything else, if it's apparent that we trust in our own abilities more than anything else, they will understand that. They will see that. But if it becomes apparent that whatever happens, we trust God, we trust God to, to show up, we trust God to buck up, we trust God uh, to love up, then they most likely will understand that as well. This is a command given many, many years ago, but it's actually something we can learn from, we can live out today. Live out your faith. That's the second step to building trust memories. The fourth, third step is to, to teach them, to teach them. So not only do you teach them the word, but you teach them how it applies, how it, how it lives in life. And we get in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7 and, uh, through 9, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Uh, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Again, He's saying, if you, need the, if you need it, make reminders, memory reminders. But teach them. Make them evident. Make them very uh, uh, obvious to your children. Impress upon them, which means to, to convict them, the word in Hebrew. Convict them uh, that these are things they need to know and these are things they need to live out. Life is full of teachable moments, isn't it? Unfortunately, it's full of teachable moments. You know, it's, it's kind of hard when you want your kids to be educated and to know their numbers. 
it's kind of hard when they can sit behind you in the car and see how fast your speedometer is going when you teach them to obey the laws of the land, right? I'm so grateful for cruise control because it can keep me from speeding. Now, I can't promise you I never speed. But I do think about that. But there are many kinds of moments like these. For example, you can teach uh, your kids or your grandkids, the kids in your lives, you can teach them uh, trusting God in all kinds of situations. How about when you go shopping? Oftentimes there are opportunities to reinforce the biblical value of honesty when perhaps you're tempted to slip something in your pocket that you could or you see someone else do that. Every situation in life is our teaching moments. It means watching your favorite TV shows with your teenagers in order to discuss primetime depictions of love, sex, and romance with them and how they differ from God's word, from God's values and his priorities. It means trying to catch your children doing something good so that you can positively reinforce them. It means using baseball games, court trials, inspection stickers on gas pumps and merchant scales, lines at banks and grocery stores to remind your kids of the value of fairness, justice in our interaction with other people. Just don't do that in a way that shows your frustration and your impatience. That's my temptation. You know, I, I can't stand when I go to the, the Walmart checkout line, uh, the short line, of course, because I go every day, so I never have more than 20 items. And somebody in front of me has like 50 items, right, in that cart. What do you do? If my kids, when they were younger, if they were with me, I would try to take a breath or two and then say, look, there, that's, uh, that's not following the rules, is it? And not say, I can't believe it. <laughs> it means pulling out your wedding albums and using them as a way to share your convictions about sexual purity before and during marriage. And how honoring marriage has resulted in God's protection and provision in your life. In other words, I tell you, you show your kids that God is in every area of your life. And I think often they'll come up understanding and one day having that same trust in God and his values, his fairness, his provision, his justice, his love. Lastly, I would say uh, to create these trust memories in your family, you need to protect them. You need to protect them. God understands our fallibility. Uh, It is often when things are going best uh, that we are tempted to forget God, to remember him least. And you think about it in your lives, I'm sure that has happened. It's when things are going well that you maybe didn't have that conscious thought process about God and his role in your life, God and his protection and his provision in your life. Here we get in verses 10 through 12, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now remember, where have they been? For 40 years. They've been in the desert, not the desert. They've been in the desert. They've been living out of tents, 
or whatever portable shelters they had. They've been relying on manna and, and quail. They, they, when you cross into the promised land, he's saying, your life is going to change dramatically in a positive way. It's like you're hitting the big time. A land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, that is, as you're enjoying all this beauty and this bounty, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, I don't want hard times to happen to any of us. But I will say to you, we've gotten complacent, I think, in a country that is the one remaining superpower that that has a, a level of affluence that few nations have ever had. It's easy to forget God. So you have to protect that. You have to talk about it. You have to teach it, but, but you have to do whatever it takes to, to remember. As I told you before, that's why we do communion every Sunday. It's why the Bible's full of, of symbols that remind us of God's presence and, and God's priorities and God's values. We see in the New Testament these words, Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that it will soon be put aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter knows it's about time for him to, to leave, to be gone from this world. But he says... I'll repeat it over and over, even to the point of exasperation. And believe me, your kids will tell you that. I know, Dad, I know. Still, be redundant. Let it be clear who you trust. Let it be clear who you live for. And as it is caught, As it is witnessed, as it is taught, it has a chance, this truth, this presence, this power of God, it has a chance to give your kids the blessed life that you want for them. Samuel Taylor Coleridge, he had a dinner guest one time early in the the year who was a devout atheist. During the meal, this guest expounded the virtues of freedom of choice and how religion prevented people from truly being free. This guest was especially upset with how parents, as he called it, brainwash their children. They train their children in the faith. He claimed that children should be free to believe what they want without any outside influence from their parents. That is, a parent shouldn't try to persuade their kids what to believe in matters of religion. Well, in the fall, Coleridge had this gentleman back to dinner. And after dinner, it's the same kind of discussion, you know, pounding the table about how Christians brainwashed their kids. 
After dinner, Coleridge got up and asked his friend to come outside with him to look at his garden. That had been a good season. His friend expected uh, that he would be walking out into a place of beauty because Coleridge was known as an expert gardener. So his friend was expecting to see beautiful flowers, sculpted shrubbery, and flowering plants. Instead, he saw a mess. He saw weeds and out-of-control vines and general disorder. Everything was overgrown. The atheist looked puzzled. He said, this is your garden. What happened? You're a master gardener. Coleridge responded, well, I took your advice. I wouldn't want to impose myself on our young plants and vines. So I just let them grow and do what they wanted to. See, it is vital for us to show in whom we trust. It is vital for us for it not just to be a motto on the back of our dollar bills, but it to be quite evident in the way that we live. If we trust in God, then let's let everybody show it and know it. Fathers, we think about these things. I pray today that you have stirred us perhaps to remember things that slip our attention so easy to get focused on things that are short term things that are not so important help us to remember help us to to build these trust memories with our own lives help us to build these trust memories with our families I thank you, Father, for your, your forgiveness. I thank you for your belief in us. I thank you for your trust in us. Help us to trust you. Help us to live in a way where that's evident. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.